Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22. First Kings chapter 22. Last week we ended with a look at the lying spirit that was sent forth from the Lord to Ahab's false prophets. And using several scriptures elsewhere in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, I presented my opinion that this lying spirit was Satan. And if you want to re-listen to that lesson, you're welcome to do so. We have them on Facebook. But this morning, we're going to move on and pick up with verse 24. So for those of you just joining us online, we're in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 24. Now to set the stage for verse 24, Micaiah had just given a prophecy from the Lord, and that prophecy was not favorable to Ahab or to Israel. And after that prophecy, Zedekiah, in verse 24, does the following, and let's read it. But Zedekiah, the son of Chenaanah, went near and smote Micaiah, or Micaiah, on the cheek. And said, which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? Zedekiah is just like those unbelieving Jews in the council of the high priests where Caiaphas and those elders were. If you remember there in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus had proclaimed himself as the son of God and Those Jews were fit to be tied. The unbelieving Jews were. And in Matthew 26, I'll read from verses 67 and 68. Here's what they did to him. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? So a very similar response in Zedekiah's day or in Micaiah's day and in Jesus' day. And what we learn from that is regardless of the age, regardless of whether it's an Old Testament passage or New Testament passage as recorded in God's Word or our own experience today, when God's Word is spoken... Evildoers will not only stop their ears, turn their ears, but they'll try to stop the mouths of those who speak righteousness. They don't want anything to do with it. And it seems to be a strange thing to us who are believers that somebody wouldn't want the cure for their sin. Why, if somebody walked into the doctor's office and the doctor said, you have a cancer, But we have a cure, and it's 100%. And they say, well, I don't want it. Well, we would think that person to be strange, yet when one hears of righteousness, the cure for their sin, the cure for the penalty and the power, and even one day the presence of sin, and they don't want it, that's proof of a living devil, proof of one who's blinded their eyes. 
So Zedekiah said, which way went the spirit of the Lord from me? If you're looking at that in verse 24. Well, Zedekiah's first error when he said this was that this was not the spirit of the Lord who went from him. The spirit of the Lord was never in him. He was an unbeliever. He hated the prophecy that Micaiah made. It wasn't that the spirit of the Lord went from Zedekiah. It was a lying spirit from the Lord that was in Zedekiah. And remember, that lying spirit was not the Holy Spirit. This was, I believe, and we, I believe we very strongly showed it last week, was Satan, that lying spirit. Zedekiah, had he had the spirit of the Lord in him, he wouldn't have been in this situation in the first place. He would have been somebody who said amen to what Micaiah prophesied. He would have said, that's good preaching right there, brother. That's the truth. Whether anyone else agreed with him or not. You know, spiritually, if you have to look around to see if others are saying amen before you can say amen right here, then this amen is not an amen at all. And using bully tactics to silence God's preachers is a favorite tactic of the devil's crowd. In the 1990s, a publication called Christianity Today had an article, and it was an article criticizing Benny Hinn and his ilk. Perhaps you were familiar with it. And it said, evangelical apologetics ministries have long criticized the word faith or word of faith movement on several points, including... Now, this is what that movement taught. They taught that Jesus lost his divinity before he physically died on the cross. They taught that Christ was united with Satan in nature and that like believers today, he had to be born again also. And advocates of this doctrine also stated that human beings are of the same essence as Jesus Christ, their little gods. And so to that criticism, Benny Hinn publicly responded on the TBN show with Paul Crouch, and he said, now this is a quote from Benny Hinn. I heard this with my own ears, so I I know it happened. He said, I've looked for one verse in the Bible, I just can't seem to find it. One verse that said, if you don't like them, kill them. I wish God would give me a Holy Ghost machine gun. I'll blow your head off, end quote. That's what Benny Hinn said. This is how the Zedekiahs and the Benny Hens of this world respond to any criticism of their theology. And their theology, so-called, is not really theology. It's not a knowledge of God. It's their own doctrine, and it changes kind of like the science with COVID does, right? They they follow the doctrine wherever the doctrine goes, and it could be different today than it is tomorrow. Bible doctrine is not that way. Bible doctrine is always the same. The Micaiahs of this world, and there aren't many, just want to say what God says. They're not interested... And, uh, and I say they, we, hopefully we find ourselves in the same 
category is Micaiah, just inquiring of the Lord and speaking what he said. That's all I desire to do, and that's all our pastor desires to do. So we're not interested in becoming fruit or becoming famous. We just want to be fruitful and faithful. We don't need our names on statues and signs. We're content to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. The Spirit of the Lord never did leave Micaiah. And the Spirit of the Lord was never upon Zedekiah. So Zedekiah was in error when he said in mockery there in verse 24, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? Verse 25, And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. So this was Micaiah's answer to that question, to that mocking question from Zedekiah. You want to know which way the Spirit of the Lord went? You'll see when you hide in an inner chamber one day. Micaiah told that bold, brazen Zedekiah that he would one day be hiding himself in fear as opposed to openly mocking God's word and God's prophet as he was doing on this day. An inner chamber, that's not a pair of words we use very often, but it's simply a room. It's an inner room. It might be a place where one would hide as Zedekiah or as Micaiah suggested Zedekiah would one day do. You're out here shaking your finger at me and mocking God's word, but one day you're going to find the innermost room somewhere and you're going to hide in it. You're going to be in fear. Micaiah's answer let Zedekiah know that Zedekiah's prophecy was not going to come true. What did Zedekiah prophesy? Do you remember that Ahab, he, Zedekiah had some horns of iron. He had a prop for his sermon. And he said, with horns, with these horns, you're going to push Syria and you're going to prevail, prosper. Micaiah said, no, you're not. (laughs) That prophecy you claimed is going to come true. It's not going to come true. Ramoth Gilead's not going to be delivered into the hands of Ahab. Samaria is not going to prosper and the neck and the Syrians won't be consumed. In fact, not too many years after this, the Assyrians were once again fighting against Israel, taking their land. So nothing Zedekiah said was going to come true. Verse 26 and 27. And the king of Israel, now that's Ahab in case you've lost sight of who that is. And the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in the prison, and feed him with the bread of affliction, and with the water of affliction, until I come in peace. What was Ahab afraid of? He put a lowly prophet into prison. Now, That's not going to change the prophecy, is it? Did it when we studied Jeremiah? No. Jeremiah in the dungeon changed not one bit of God's prophecy, not one bit of God's word. Didn't change Jeremiah's mind about anything. 
And it's not going to change what happens here in our text. In the history of the world, nothing good has ever come from suppressing good and ignoring the truth. But much evil has come from it. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And we studied that word hold before when we studied the book of Romans. And it means to hold down, to suppress, to detain to keep it from being freely given. We see that happening today. It's happened for centuries, millennia, where those in power feel threatened by the truth. And so they do all they can to hold it down, and they're doing it in unrighteousness. When your government tries to protect you, to protect you, from truth and feed you propaganda for your own good. All that comes from that is evil. And we're fighting that fight today, aren't we? A fight for the truth. And what happened in the prison? Well, Micaiah's diet suddenly changed, didn't it? He was told, or he was going to eat the bread of affliction. Affliction is also translated as the word oppression. And this is an admission by the king that he intends to oppress Micaiah, not only by putting him in a building of oppression, but by giving him the bread of oppression. And although Ahab might think he would discourage Micaiah, God has a promise in his word about what happens when his people Eat the bread of affliction. And I'll read it to you from Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 through 20. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 30, verses 18 through 20. And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you, For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And in that verse in Isaiah, those teachers would be seen by the afflicted ones. Even though God allowed them or delivered them to eat the bread of adversity, which is also translated affliction, it's a different Hebrew word, but it's very close in meaning to the one in our text. And even though... There in, in Micaiah's case, he's in prison, he's eating the bread of affliction, he's drinking the water of affliction, and the end of his sentence is, whenever it is, Ahab returns in peace. Well, there's no certainty he's going to return in peace. In fact, if God's prophecy comes true, which it will be, Ahab won't return in peace at all. 
He may return in pieces, but he won't be in peace. I cheated. I read ahead a little bit. Ahab said, until I come in peace. Are you looking at that there at the end of verse 27? When will this sentence end? When will... How long will you be in prison, Micaiah? And how long will he eat the bread of affliction and drink the water of affliction? Until Ahab comes in peace. That is, until the Sumerians win the war. Or, if Ahab did not return in peace, what is the implication there? Micaiah will die in prison. And his last meal will still be the bread of affliction and the water of affliction. Micaiah could have been greatly discouraged by this sentence. First of all, he knew that God's prophecy would come true, that the Sumerians were going to lose, and Ahab was going to have his blood licked up by the dogs in the same place Naboth's blood was licked up in prior chapters that we studied. And knowing that, and then hearing Ahab say, you're not getting out of there and you're not getting anything else to eat or drink but what I said, until I come back in peace. Micaiah, Micaiah knew Ahab would not come back in peace. So this would have been a prime time for Micaiah to be discouraged. He just reminds me so much of Jeremiah in this condition, being in that prison. And Micaiah said, if you come back in peace, and we're going to see that in verse 28, I'm not a prophet of the Lord. Let's look at that. And Micaiah, verse 28, And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. I want you to picture this prophet of the Lord whose faith was great. He could have said, You know, Lord, I was all good with inquiring of you and preaching the word to the people. But I'm in prison now. I'm eating the bread of affliction and drinking the water of affliction. Uh, this isn't fun anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, I want to retire from being a prophet. He never said that. He sealed his fate in, in a way of speaking by saying, if you come back, I'm not a prophet of the Lord. In other words, Micaiah expected to die in prison. Isn't that something? That a man expects to die in prison, it reminds us also of the faith of the Apostle Paul. Putting him in prison just emboldened him to write those letters to the churches and communicate the gospel and check up on the churches he had planted. And there, at the end of verse 28, Micaiah, from wherever he was, I, perhaps he was on his way to prison at this time, Perhaps he was in prison, I don't know. But he said, hearken, O people, every one of you. Now this is from a man who was treated as a criminal. He spoke to a bunch of lost Sumerians, even as he was about to be led away to their prison. And yet in all of that, knowing he would die in prison, in all of that he still cared for those people. He cared for them even though he was persecuted by them and their prophets. He cared for them just as Jesus had compassion on that multitude 
because he saw they were as sheep having no shepherd. Just as Jesus had compassion on that thief on the cross who had once mocked him. You know, both of those thieves mocked him. It said they cast the same in his teeth, which was a way of saying they insulted him. Both of them did. But then one of them repented. Jesus gave the one who mocked him eternal life when he said, Master, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. And by the way, that that salvation scene right there blows up the Campbellites doctrine, doesn't it? At no time was that thief ever taken down and washed in a baptistry. And yet Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise. And this is why we can't get angry with people who persecute us. And although I'll confess it's very difficult to avoid Nobody likes being called names. Nobody likes being embarrassed publicly on Facebook or in the former days in the newspaper, on the radio. But to those people who persecute us and to those people who malign and mock God's word, we have to say to them, just like Micaiah said, hearken, O people, every one of you. To whom did God send us to preach the gospel? To every creature, didn't he? Now, verse 29. After all this, let's look at what Ahab does. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. Well, there's that. There's not one bit of hesitation on Ahab's part. He didn't show even the slightest outward reservation about the prophecy Micaiah had just made. At least he could have tossed a coin or picked lots or done something to make it look like he was struggling with his decision. There was no struggle. In fact, he was never interested in whether the Lord would have him go to Ramoth-Gilead or not. What he was interested in and why he called his prophets to tell him whether he should go was to get a religious rubber stamp on his war campaign. That's what many politicians do today. They go to a big-name church on Sunday morning, and they give a speech. And then when they leave that church, they can tell voters, I have the support of this church or this denomination or this group of evangelicals. I was at the first self-righteous church on Sunday, not the one in Pascagoula. But I'm going to tell you what I think those politicians need to do instead. They need to take their Bibles and sit down in the church somewhere in a nondescript fashion, not drawing attention to themselves, listen to good Bible teaching and be saved if they're not. And if they are, be renewed in their faith. In fact, that's all we ever ask of anybody, and that's all the Bible demands of us coming to the Lord's house, is to evangelize the lost and to edify the saved. And we do that by preaching the Bible. If one of them came here today, if one of those big-name politicians, and I'm going to tell you, I may be speaking for myself, but I think I probably 
speak for others. I'm not interested in them being up here. This is where my pastor preaches. And that's who I want to hear when I come here. If I want to hear them, I'll tune into one of their uh, interviews or I'll read a transcript from some speech they gave that was interrupted with applause 400 times. I can't stand that. That's why I read transcripts. I need the Bible more than I need a politician. At least I know the Bible's true and none of its prophecies can lie. Political speeches are often a bunch of pie in the sky promises that may or may not be kept. Am I telling you don't take an interest in politics? Absolutely not. You better be informed if you're going to vote. I want you to vote and I want you to be an informed voter. And I don't want you to say, well, I'm, I vote straight this or that or whatever. I want you to vote Christian principles. And if you vote Christian principles, you'll be right every time with God. Ahab let political speeches disguised as religious prophecies. He let political speeches using the name of God take place of godly wisdom, of godly counsel. So, as our text tells us here in verse 29, he went to an ill-advised war after being told not to. Verse 30. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, now if you remember, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, Ahab the king of Israel, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle, but put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself, and went into the battle. Ahab said, I'll disguise myself. Now you put your kingly robes on, but I'll disguise myself. That way nobody will know who I am. What a coward. We already knew he was a coward. He didn't set Jezebel straight and should have done that. And he tells Jehoshaphat, he said, put thou on thy robes. Who would be the most prized catch in a battle? It'd be the king, wouldn't it? Be the leader. Somebody at the top. And Jehoshaphat may have been a good king, but he was a bit of an airhead. He was. How could he assume Ahab had his best interest at heart? We don't read that he said, hey, wait a minute. What do you mean you're going to disguise yourself and I'm going to put the target on my back? No, that's not... That's not sound wisdom. Verse 31, But the king of Syria commanded his thirty and two captains that had rule over his chariots, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. So they had one target. Now, I believe this was God ordaining their battle plan. I believe this was God showing, here's how the prophecy Micaiah gave is going to be fulfilled. God's not worried about any of the soldiers, the small, the great, the lieutenants, the captains, all that. It's Ahab. It's the king of Israel who's got the target on his back. And just because he disguised himself with man doesn't mean that disguise works with God because it does not. David said, where can I go? That thou art not. He couldn't go anywhere that God could not see him. It's the case with all men. It's almost 
like Ahab knew this Syrian strategy ahead of time. Maybe God put it in his heart, hey, disguise yourself to show that only God can do the impossible. He had, Jesus had Lazarus stay in that grave four days. He could have gone while Lazarus was sick and healed him. But he was in there four days to the point where those nearby said, Lord, by now he stinketh when Jesus wanted to open up that tomb. So not only had Ahab planned to spare his own life by appearing to be a common soldier, but he put Jehoshaphat on display, the king of Judah, perhaps hoping he would be spotted and killed in battle, perhaps hoping he would be mistaken for Ahab. Oh, look, there's Ahab. There's a king of Israel. Uh, That's the only one who should look like a king out here. Verse 32, and it came to pass when the captains of the chariots, now this would be the Syrian chariots, saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Now that's exactly why Ahab wanted Jehoshaphat to dress up and Ahab to look like a common soldier. And they turned aside to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. Now we don't know in this verse what he cried out, what he said. But there is a parallel verse in, if you'll just write it down, Second Chronicles 18, verse 31. It tells this same story, and it gives us just a little bit more detail in this one area. It's Second Chronicles 18, 31. And here's what it says, describing this same event. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they compassed about him to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God moved them to depart from him. That is what Jehoshaphat cried out. We still don't know exactly what he said, but it said he cried out, and the Lord helped him. So you might make the brilliant deduction that he cried out to the Lord to help him. He cried out, and the Lord helped him. And the way the Lord helped him is by moving upon the hearts of those men, those Syrians who had compassed about Jehoshaphat, moving upon their hearts saying, leave him alone. Get away from him. And only God could do that. Because in the minds of these men, we've got the king. And we're about to take him out. And we're going to be rewarded greatly when we get back and show our king Hey, we got Ahab, the king of Israel, the one you sent us for. And it said the Lord helped him. And it wasn't, this crying out to the Lord wasn't like when Ahab humbled himself before the Lord a few verses back in our study. Because if you'll remember, Jehoshaphat was the one who wanted to hear from the prophet of the Lord. He wanted a prophet to inquire of the Lord, not to listen to those 400 prophets, the chief of whom was Zedekiah. You see, the lost people who cry out for God to save them from cancer or car wreck or some other catastrophe are not seeking God as much as they are seeking to save their own lives, to preserve their own situation. And then they go on. You remember when Jesus healed the lepers, And the one returned to give him thanks, and he said, where are the nine? 
They just wanted to have their leprosy healed. They weren't interested in Jesus whatsoever. They just went on their way. And that's what the lost do. But the saved who cry out to God know that God has a sovereign will. And he has a plan for our lives. And sometimes that plan and that will includes healing us of physical diseases, keeping us physically safe from some event, from an accident, as we call it. But sometimes that plan involves us eating the bread of affliction and drinking the water of affliction, going through suffering. Because the Bible promises us, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise. Verse 33 And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. So their minds were changed, and we know it was God who directed them away from Jehoshaphat. Verse 34, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture. Now that means at random or in its simplicity. And smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. Let me give you a a modern day example of drawing a bow at a venture. Now this is talking about a bow and arrow. Whenever somebody shoots an automatic weapon or sometimes a semi-automatic weapon for the very first time, At some point, they want to see how fast they can pull that trigger and get those shots off. Or in the case of an automatic weapon, hold that trigger down. And and you know where most of those pieces of lead go? They fill the air and they fall on the dirt somewhere. They don't end up at the target. Maybe the first one or two do. So all of those bullets end up somewhere. And they don't hit the target. Well, if you think about all of the arrows that were shot in a war particularly this war. A lot of them didn't hit their targets, although some of them did. So this man, it said a certain man, this was somebody who, as far as we can tell, had no idea that he was shooting at the king of Israel. He just drew a bow at a venture and fired an arrow. Have no idea how many random shots he made, whether he scored hits or not. But we know at this time, he shot an arrow at random. In other words, He wasn't aiming to kill the king because the king was dressed up as a soldier. But that random arrow was not random in God's eyes. That was a preordained prophetic arrow. And you're going to see why as we follow this through to its conclusion. And it said in the text, It smote the king of Israel, there in verse 34, between the joints of the harness. Now the word harness is also translated as breastplate. It is a piece of armor. And the joints of that harness would be where it is joined together. That's why they're called joints. And so that's a vulnerable place. It's a seam or it's perhaps a little hole where two latches came together. I'm not sure how they fastened that harness in those days. But it was a vulnerable place. So that that random arrow 
found a place in the joints of Ahab's harness of his armor. And it smote him. It got him. It stuck in him. Now, Ahab was in a chariot when this happened. So Ahab, in a chariot, bled in the chariot from the wound. What's one of the things the dogs are going to do? Someday, they're going to lick up the blood of Ahab. So keep that. That's the end goal here in mind. That's the end of that prophecy, or at least the near fulfillment of it. So now Ahab tells his chariot driver in the middle of the verse, Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. In other words, turn around and get out of here. We can't keep going into the battle. I have suffered an arrow wound. Now let me tell you, there are some recipients, I guess I should say, I don't want to say winners because it's not a contest or a competition, but when one of our military personnel are wounded in battle and continue to fight and save the lives of others and perhaps they're wounded again and wounded again and they keep going and that's the spirit we want to see in our military. They don't get shot and say, oh, carry me away from the host. I've been wounded. I have a flesh wound. No, they're willing to give their lives when they receive uh, some sort of a medal, whether it's a medal of valor, there's all sorts of medals that are given for that sort of thing. That means they did not say, turn thine hand and carry me out of the host for I'm wounded. That means they said, I have a wounded comrade up there and yes, I've, my left foot is blown off, but I'm going to do my best to get to him and drag him out of harm's way. Not Ahab. He was no candidate for an award. He tried to look like a soldier, but he didn't fight like a soldier, did he? He said, carry me out of the host. I wonder if he was beginning to think about what Micaiah said to him. He said they were going to lick the blood, my blood, up at the place where Naboth's blood was licked up. Could this be part of that prophecy? Maybe he was thinking that. We don't know. Verse 35 and the battle increased that day. It means it got more intense. And the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even. That's in the evening. So if you want to know when Ahab died, it's the middle of verse 35. Physically, he died. And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. Isn't it important to the accomplishment of this prophecy that Ahab received some sort of wound that would cause him to bleed? that he didn't drink hemlock or some sort of poison or die by being suffocated or strangled where he may not have had any blood run out into the chariot. He suffered a wound that caused him to bleed in his chariot, and, of course, it killed him. He bled to death in his chariot during the battle. That's a better way of putting it. You know, Ahab's decision to go to battle was against God's word. His plan to deceive the enemy by disguising himself had a major flaw. It did not deceive God. And a seemingly random arrow found its way to an exposed place in his harness, in his armor, and that fatally wounded him. And Jehoshaphat, who had been set up for a fall, who was a step away from death, did not die at the hands of the Syrians. 
God protected him. He was as good as dead. He was recognized, or at least initially recognized as a king, perhaps the king of Israel. Hey, we've got him. But he cried out and God delivered him from the Syrians in what we would think was an impossible situation. Verse 36, And there went a proclamation throughout the host about the going down of the sun, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his own country. I'm going to look back in verse 17 and remind you of the prophecy Micaiah made. Same chapter, verse 17, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. (laughs) That was a prophecy. And what did the proclamation say? It said, everybody go home. Everybody go to your own country. And as Micaiah is in prison, eating the bread of affliction, drinking the water of affliction, the prophecy he spoke is coming true step by step, just as God said it would. Verse 37, so the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. That's important too, isn't it? The soldiers could have said, our king died on the battlefield, and we're going to bury him on the battlefield. We're going to have a grand ceremony and build a a tomb and a shrine to him. They had to bring him back to Samaria so this prophecy would be fulfilled. Did Ahab come again in peace to Samaria? No. So once again, Micaiah's sentence would be upheld because the condition for him to be released from prison and quit eating the bread of affliction and drinking the water of affliction was that Ahab would come in peace, and Ahab has come dead. He is not in peace Now, about Micaiah, we never read about him again. Kind of sad, isn't it? You want to see what happened to this man of God. We don't see that he was rescued or set free or that his sentence was pardoned, that a subsequent king got on the throne and said, hey, get Micaiah out of prison. As far as we know, he died a forgotten man in prison, a troublemaker to the religious liberals. But to God, Micaiah was a faithful instrument. He was a vessel through which Samaria, an undeserving nation, received the word of the Lord because he said, hearken all ye people. Verse 38. And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord which he spake. Why was it important that Ahab's blood ran into the chariot? Because that same blood, as well as the blood from his armor, was washed out in the pool of Samaria where the dogs licked his blood. Just as Elijah prophesied in chapter 21, verse 19, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And he spoke to Ahab. So we may conclude that Naboth's vineyard was in Samaria, and it must have been by this pool. And isn't it ironic, yet quite instructive, that the very vineyard Ahab took from Naboth by force was the one where his own blood was licked up by the dogs. And with that, we'll stop for the morning. 1045 gives us plenty of time to 
fellowship and get ready for our 11 o'clock hour. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the truths you've showed us in your word. And Father, if you weren't our teacher, we would stumble and stutter up here and not be able to communicate these wonderful doctrines. But because of you, we can not only teach them and understand them, but by your grace, apply them in our own lives and our daily walk. And we pray you'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.